It's easy to travel around it with, with just public transport and a bike around the city and two years without a car and I didn't, I still don't need it. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals from around the world. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. Great to be with you on another edition of the world's leading transit executive podcast, Transit Unplugged. Today, we travel around the world to the land down under to Melbourne, Australia. Melbourne, as you know, has been rated for seven years the most livable city in the world. I was able to visit there a couple of years ago and visit numerous transit systems and actually interview seven of their top transit leaders, including Nicholas Gint, who worked with Yara Trams, which is the world's largest light rail network in Melbourne. And today I'm excited to interview his successor, Mr. Julian DeHornoy, who is CEO of Yara Trams in Australia, in Melbourne, where they have a great coffee. Uh, every day I was there, I went to a different place to get different types of coffee. You know, he spent many years in France. He was chief of staff to the Minister of Transport for France. And um, he had a major accomplishment there in Paris by uh, working on numerous significant rescheduling to decrease the late trains by 25% in Paris, where he was working. I mean, that's a 25% improvement in on-time performance. And he's doing that same kind of thing in Melbourne, where they have 250 kilometers or 160 miles of double track tram with 500 trams, 25 routes, uh, almost 1,800 tram stops. As I mentioned, it's the largest operational urban tram network in the world. And prior to COVID, it was responsible for over 200 million passenger trips a year. And they've continually operated these trams since 1884. But as a result of that, Julian tells us about some of the challenges of working in a legacy system and how they're working to integrate transportation across Melbourne. I think you'll really enjoy this amazing, fascinating interview with Julian DeHorno, CEO of the world's largest light rail tram network. Welcome to Transit Unplugged. I'm your host, Paul Comfort. We're excited today to travel across the pond again over to Australia, the whole other side of the world here from the U.S. with uh, my new friend, Julian DeHorne, who is CEO of Yara Tram. Some of you all may remember several years ago when I did a tour of Australia, I was able to visit them and see their operations center, ride the trams. It is the largest tram network in the world, and we're so excited to have the CEO with us, Julian. Thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thanks, Paul, Paul for having me today. Yeah, very excited to talk to you about all the uh, so many amazing things happening. You know, just yeah. as a side note, uh, BRT and light rail lines are really taking off as kind of the rail lines that are trending right now, I think, across the world. Would you agree with me? Oh, absolutely. Uh, and, there, and there's a big trend uh, at the moment. One of the reasons may be that uh, it's not only improving you know, the, the passenger, the, the, the way people move around the city, it's improving the city themselves. It's city shaping projects. And, and that's what is great about light rail. So you're in Melbourne, which has been voted seven years in a row, uh, the most livable city in the world. And I love that place. We were just talking in the green room before we came on that when I visited, I was getting coffee like every meal at a different place. I mean, tell us a little about the context in which you're operating, and then we'll dive in. So tell us about Melbourne, Australia, what's happening right now. You know, this show will be airing uh, shortly. And so kind of let us know where you're at right now, what's happening. Well, Melbourne uh, is and has been for many years one of the greatest cities in the world. Uh, as you said, uh, one of the most livable cities in the world. Um, uh, there's a great mix of things here. It's a beautiful city. 
um, uh, near the very near to the, the ocean, um, uh, very green city, and and I must say, uh, arguably one of the best transit systems in the world. Yeah, uh, which makes it a, f- a fantastic you know place to live. Uh, yeah. and, and I'm I've been um, I'm, I live in Mel- I've been in Melbourne for the last two years, and I must say. I, I for the for the first day I wanted to buy a car and two days after I still haven't bought a car because it's easy to travel around it with, with just public transport and a bike around the city and two years without a car and I didn't I still don't need it. That's awesome. Now um, you came from another iconic city, Paris. Tell us about what you did there. Oh sure. Um, uh, that's one thing Paris and Melbourne have in, in common is you know great transit. And so uh, my background is in, uh, in, is in rail. Actually, uh, it took me a bit of time, probably five years, but uh, in the beginning of my life. But after this, ever since I've been five, I knew I wanted to work with public transport, you know? Really? Uh, and I'm one of the only in, guys uh, I've ever met who said that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and so, um, uh, and there was not a second in the last uh, 35 years or so that I regretted that. Uh, so I've been lucky. Uh, to have had position in uh, in public transport uh, all these uh, all these times, both on government side and operators side. Um, but yes, I've been uh, fortunate enough to work with uh, SNCF, so the French Railways, uh, for uh, many years. And including uh, lastly, I was uh, running some of the commuter lines in uh, in Paris. You know the RER uh, 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 network. And and um, I've been working there for uh, on the on the RER for four years, running the the D line, which is uh, the longest in the uh, and uh, and one of the busiest on the Paris network. And it was a great experience, um, pretty complex. Uh, this was a legacy system, so uh, um, uh, with running with its own issues and and a, a very uh, solid, consistent growth of passengers. So we were having issues like. Uh, uh, related to that uh, growth and uh, the speed of the growth there. And so tell us a little bit about your career because you've had an interesting career. Kind of start us off where you started because as I mentioned, a lot of folks that listen to this show are drivers of buses and train systems, mechanics, sure. everybody. And I think they like to see different stories of upward mobility and how you kind of worked your way up to be chief of staff of the Minister of Transport for all of France. And now you run Melbourne's transit system, one of the best cities in the world. I mean, Dude, you've got it going on. So tell us how you made it happen. Well, as I said, it's all that, but started with the passion for public transport. Uh, public transport is, is is great. It's great. It's great technical systems, technology, but also it's all about changing people's life. And that's what is great about it. It's yes. much more than just running services. It's so central. And you see, you know, in, in cities like Paris, London, closer to you in the US, I mean, the, the, the transport really shaped the cities and the countries. Yes. And and it's about every, everyone's life, and 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 that's what I love about public transport. So, and I've been fortunate to navigate between, let's say, within public transport between two worlds, uh, back and forth, government on one side. So, what is it that, as a community, we want uh, for services, and navigate between government and operators? So, how can we make that better? How can we deliver those services? And. I find this interface between government on the one side and operators absolutely, um, it's thrilling for me. And I love navigating on the two sides. So I started on the government side, then moved to the operator's side with work, working with the SNCF. Then I had an opportunity uh, to go back in government, shape some uh, important reforms that we had a, a few years ago in France. And now I'm back 
on the operator side. And it may happen a few times more that you know, <laughs> I, I go on these two sides of the mirror. And yes. that's, that, that's the beauty of things. But I know that's something you've done, Paul, as well, actually. Yes. Yeah, I was going to say, we share that in common. When I started yeah. at Trapeze, I had worked for 30 years in the industry, exactly 15 in the private sector, exactly 15 in the public. So uh, I, I agree with you. I, I enjoy both of them. Right now, I'm super enjoying in the private sector, though. Politics is pretty toxic here in the U.S. And uh, right now. And uh, so I'm enjoying uh, helping people in the and, and like you, Julian, I kind of see working in the industry and it sounds like you do, too, as almost like a ministry. You're really helping people and sometimes the people who need it the most. I mean, that, that's, that's our purpose, right? As an operator, uh, you know, um, we're part of the Keeley's group and the motto of Keeley's group is uh, uh, think like a passenger. And that's really what we try to do. Uh, and, and how can we make their life, their journey, their experience better? Uh, and technology is, is here for that. Uh, our amazing staff are here uh, for that, really dedicated at you know, improving our passengers' life. That's what I love uh, about public transport. It's really it's improving people's life, and it's such an important uh, part of everyone's life. If you think of the time, uh, you know, our passengers uh, spend in the public transport, uh, you know, in their whole life, it's a huge amount of time. And yeah. and this can be either uh, some some things that they are forced to do, and they're you know unwillingly, and uh, lots of disruptions and or annoyances. This can be this. Or we can make it better. We can be make it like an enjoyable experience, comfortable time for people for themselves to 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 relax, to unwind, to 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 discuss with uh, with their peers. We can we can change their life, change their experience. That's what the beauty of public transport. Yep, that's right. I always say, you know, we can make somebody's day, or we can really ruin their week Absolutely. if we don't do it right. You know, so. Um, that's interesting. So, you know, the model there in Australia is um, a lot of the, the, the public transport, Victoria, so to speak, they okay. contract out the operations to an operator. And that's what you, you're you working for. You said Keolis Downer. I, I love those guys, by the way, Keolis. I know Bernard and, of course, Clement yeah. Michel, who I've worked with a lot here in the U.S. and now is going back to headquarters in France. But you got a great team you work for. I love those um the rooms you have in your in each of your offices that are show all the KPIs on the wall, the key performance indicators. So before we go, you got to tell me about that because I don't I don't know that everybody knows about that. Oh uh, yes, absolutely. Um, uh, and, and that's the, the the beauty of being part of a group like Keolis Downer uh, and a broader group like Keolis operating, uh, you know, in all, all continents now, uh, twenty countries, and and. Um, there is. Uh, you, you just mentioned the vi visualization rooms, which is yeah, something now that we have, that we have in all our, uh, you know, all our uh, operations across the world. Um, and and the, the very, it's a very simple thing. It's just uh, uh, we we believe a lot in uh, holding everyone uh, in the organization accountable uh, for our uh, you know our results. So we, this visualization rooms is. Um, we put all our KPIs on the wall for everyone to see where we stand at the moment. So it's it's for information sharing. It's also to remind you know what's at the core, what are the top priorities that we have. I must say that the fact that we have one in each our um, you know operations across the world with the same structure allows us you know, to benchmark very easily. Uh, so it's not only we are not only running Yaratrams in isolation uh, in Australia. We are part of a broader network, which is like the Keolis group, and so it allows us to. Well, we speak in the same language. We can compare. We spend a lot of time and energy just sharing best, you know, best practices 
um, uh, just now, um, for instance, just an example, uh, we are working on a plan to improve our running stock availability at the moment uh, in, in Melbourne. Um, and, to do and what? I didn't, I didn't catch that. To running, do what? So we are working on a plan to improve the availability of our running stock uh, okay. at the moment in Melbourne. Yes. That's just an example, right? But being part of Keolis is uh, I had immediately a network of, you know, 10 peers in other networks facing with the same issues. We have a, a great uh, knowledge sharing uh, online system where I can draw resources uh, and immediately being part of that large network helps us to draw like best practices experiences or, uh, you know, from other places of the world and implement, you know, those great yes. ideas uh, in Melbourne. That's really the strength of being part of, uh, of, of Keolis yeah. here. And I hope, and then deliver that and bring value to our, our clients, uh, the, the state of Victoria and our customers here. Another hat I wear here in the U.S. is I'm, I'm executive director of a group called the North American Transit Alliance, which is uh, yeah. an industry association of North America's six largest transportation companies. And Keolis is one of those, you know, TransDev, First Group, all these companies are part of that, National Express, RETP Dev, MV. And we just contracted with uh, UITP to do a study on the value of contracting and to compare and contrast the models in Europe and Australia. And we looked at, we looked at the Paris system, by the way, and then compare it to what's happening here in North America. And that's one of the things that came out really strong was the, um, if you have a, uh, an operator come in who is uh, multinational, they have so much experience to draw on. There's really no novel situation that they can't draw from experience from someone else in to kind of help you through it. That's the strength of the franchising model. Uh, where it's about creating a partnership between uh, a local authority or public transport agency and uh, an, an operator and uh, an international network of, of operations. And, and by combining and creating this partnership between the two, you get uh, the vision uh, and uh, of the, the, of a government who knows best what's uh, we know what's best in the, in the jurisdiction and, and and what the constituents and the passengers want. And you partner with a with a with a with an operator that is able to bring that and bring the best of uh, you know experiences from uh, other places in the world. I was just main, main mentioning running stock maintenance. We're bringing practices from Manchester uh, in, in in the UK, for instance. When we think like a passenger, for instance, we're bringing um, uh, practices, even things that we have seen in smaller cities. Uh, even in France, like Dijon, for instance, there are great things happening there. Yeah, I've been uh, to Dijon. I visited that transit system. Yeah. yeah, it's a great it's a great transit system, a yeah. smaller one, but yeah. I mean, uh, but there's they have been very innovative, and there are some innovations like uh, in the way they run their operation operation center, for instance, that we can bring from there uh, yeah. here. Those are just two examples, for instance, uh, and 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 by it makes partnering mustard. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> and that's one, yeah, and. So maybe once we're done you know, with COVID, we can remove the, hands, the, yeah. the sanitizer in the trams and we can put most of it. So tell us about the partnership you have there uh, in Melbourne with, uh, with PTV and then tell us about your operation. You know, kind of give us, I think the statistics are amazing uh, about how long your system is and all that kind of jazz. Go walk us through some of that stuff. Well, uh, Melbourne transit system is simply the, the greatest in the world. <laughs> uh, first, it's, uh, it's, it's actually the largest in the world. Uh, uh, our tram system here, we have uh, more than 250 kilometers of line, 500 trams operating on the network. Well, pre-COVID, we had more than 200 
million passengers a year on the trams itself themselves. And they're and packed, I can tell you. I remember riding it. It was free in the downtown area and it was just packed. It is. It is. Yeah. Well, it used to be, I'd say, pre COVID. <laughs> right. It was now it's a little bit different. And, yeah, and a little so, bit of elbow room, huh? <laughs> yeah. And, and so the trams in Melbourne are really iconic part of, you know, uh, the life of the city. I can share a small anecdote, you know. Um, uh, I moved to Melbourne uh, two years ago, uh, so to become the CEO of uh, Yarra Trams. Um, and I will really, I have a strong memory of uh, exactly the time when I landed in Australia. You know, you get to the airport uh, and, you're, you're, and you enter the airport as a, you know, just onboarding your plane. And one of the first things you see, you know, is the souvenir shops, obviously. And I've been traveling a bit. And if you travel to New York City, you will see, you know, this uh, in the souvenir shops, you will see the Statue of Liberty. If you travel to Paris, you'll see the Eiffel Tower everywhere. What you see in the in the um, in the souvenir shops in the airport in Melbourne is trams, small trams. Really, and that's the first thing. That's the first thing I saw, you know, when landing in Australia was awesome. trams, and, and that shows that you know how you know strongly the trams are connected to the identity of Melbourne. They are really iconic here, uh, and 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 because uh, Melbourne is a city that has actually uh, never that never got rid of their their their, their, their tram system. Uh, unlike like many other cities in the world. And Melbourne has always uh, been proud and been maintaining uh, this, this network. So that's, that's, that's the greatness of the trams in, uh, in Melbourne. Um, everyone, uh, it belongs to everyone here, really, in the, in, in the city. So like, give us a little bit of the stats. Uh, you mentioned that you had 200 million prior to COVID. Like, how many employees yeah. do you have? What's your budget? We have, stuff? Absolutely. Uh, we have uh, approximately uh, 2,500 employees. Uh, in the tram system, and that's the trams only, then, okay. um, and 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 500 trams. Um, our uh, annual turnaround is approximately uh, $500 million US dollars. Okay. Um, uh, here, and 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 the big priority that we have at the moment. So we're operating on a franchise with the state of Victoria. Right. Um, and 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 the big priority in the contract now is to. Um, upgrade and overhaul our assets because the beauty of the our tram system is that it is uh, iconic here uh, but it means that we have an, a lot of issues about and the big challenge that we have is to transform this iconic system uh, and iconic legacy system into something that is uh, you know cutting edge um, um, uh, with provide uh, you know state-of-the-art uh, service to our passengers so that's really the challenge we have in the in the contract with the with the state, and and the state is really willing to have, make that transformation happen, and we're here to make that happen. That's good. So, what is your number one priority right now that you're working on? Well, it's as I said, it's how can we transform this uh, streetcar? I would say a legacy streetcar system. Yes. Into a modern light rail. And how are you going to do uh, it? System. Oh, it's it, it's fascinating. It's it's um, well, first putting passengers at the, at the center, um, okay. and so what do they need uh, now? And it means a few transformations. Uh, I can think of four uh, big okay. transformations that we have to deliver. Um, the first transformation is uh, we need to improve the, the, the overall performance and speed of our network. Um, our trams in Melbourne, and you, you've ridden on them, is uh, as you know, they are really running in the middle of in the streets, uh, in the middle of the cars. Seventy percent of our network is shared uh, is with the cars. 
So it means that cars stop, uh, trams stop at intersection. They can get caught in congestion. And, and uh, the speed, the average speed on our network is, uh, is 16 kilometers per hour at the moment. And if you compare to benchmark cities in the world, um, you know, modern tram system, light rail system, or new ones, average speed is more closer to 25 kilometers per hour. So then we have one big challenge here. How can we gradually improve things? So by improving separation on the road, by uh, having modern uh, you know, priority at uh, intersections, all these things, when you build a system from scratch, you can, uh, you can have this uh, priority separation uh, like embedded from, from, the, from the start. We have to make that transition here. So uh, using better technology, um, and, and that's the number one challenge that we have. The second challenge I just, just mentioned is um, uh, our trams themselves. We have 500 of them, but two thirds of them are already to over 25 years old. Uh, and 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 um, high floor, no air conditioning, and the government, the state of Victoria, has just launched a fantastic program to uh, well renew the fleet and bring new trams to the network. So uh, this all modernization of our fleet is uh, is really exciting. Will happen over the next ten years. Okay, um, but that comes with a few uh, challenges. The third. Priority and the first challenge that we have is uh, accessibility. Um, how can we have a more inclusive system? Um, and um, because what was acceptable, uh, I think 30, 40 years ago, will no longer be acceptable in, in 20 years from now. Um, so we have to make sure uh, everyone can uh, safely uh, travel on the network. That's a huge challenge. We have um, 1,700 stops on the network in, in Melbourne. And only a small minority of them, uh, actually one quarter of them, are currently access fully accessible. Like the people in wheelchairs? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But it's more than that. I mean, um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be a young parent, for instance. Uh, if you want to take a public transport with a pram, for instance, uh, or if you just, if you just went shopping, for instance. Yeah. And, and so it's it's actually accessibility is not only about disabled people. It's, it's, That's true. It's, it is about them. But it's about all of us at some point in our, in our life, we need accessible public transport. Yes. Uh, so we need, need not only to think about, you know, the commuters, the people, uh, you know, going uh, to work in the morning. It's actually those, the, the commuters are already only a minority of our passengers. We need to think about all the others. Uh, what are all the situations? What in, in what situations can you be at a certain point in your life? And 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 that's uh, that's a big transition. So it's accessibility, but more generally, it's inclusiveness of our network. That's good. Our, that's beautiful. Our network. And what's the fourth thing? And the fourth thing I'd say is uh, all the things with digital. How can digital uh, and the new tools enhance the experience of our passengers? Passenger expectations are changing now. Um, we need to provide them real-time, accurate real-time information. Uh, and, and, and people are making decisions on the spot and we have to give them uh, access to all this, uh, this real-time information uh, to make their, their travel as seamless as possible. That's great. I think those are great, uh, those are great projects for you to work on for a while, huh? Absolutely. That's enough to keep us busy for a few years. Yeah. So uh, a few more questions before we go. Time has just gone. I wish we had an hour, actually, because this is really interesting. Uh, tell us about the COVID situation. 
you know, how did, how did it affect you? Are you coming out of it? You know, now that we're in the summer, those kind of things. Or, I know it's winter for you, but summer for us over here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's winter here, but uh, uh, no, we're still not out of it. Um, and actually Melbourne has, uh, we just finished our, our fourth lockdown here in, uh, in, in Melbourne. So yes, obviously, uh, public transport has taken a big hit here in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Melbourne, uh, during, uh, last year we had, uh, three months of consecutive lockdown and during three months, we've been operating basically with 10% of our, you know, usual number of passengers. Wow. So you told me how, you know, the trams were packed when you traveled here in Melbourne. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you, um, uh, that was a very weird experience to be sometimes the only passenger in tram in, in peak hours. Wow. Uh, in Melbourne. We transform, basically we transform public tr- uh, trams into like private transport at some point. Right. Yeah. yeah. You can have your own private yeah. tram actually. That's wild. Uh, yeah, you can see, I rented this whole thing for you. So when you bring your wife with you, right? I rented this whole tram for you. What? Look at this. Exactly. And in the CBD, they are free. Right, exactly. <laughs> but anyway, anyway, uh, we're joking about this now, but um, um, because I think we're progressively going out of it, and we see yes, hopefully, yeah, we see passengers returning, and that's really encouraging. Although it will take time for passengers to return, I think, uh, because uh, expectations with public transport have changed. And and we have to regain the confidence of uh, of our passengers, and so that's the biggest challenge now: is how can we recreate that confidence and and bring our passengers back uh, to the network? So it will take probably uh, more than a few months to to bring our passengers back. As I said, probably it will take more passenger information. For instance, uh, we know that our passengers now not only want to know when the tram is coming but they will want to know uh, how busy the trams are. Uh, for instance, to know if, you know, if this is packed, we know people will be more reluctant because there is now an expectation that you can maintain some social distance uh, with uh, fellow passengers, for instance. So we need to provide that information. And that's something we are working on with the government now. Another thing is we know travel patterns are changing. Uh, people are different, are now um, used to go five days a week to the office. And now they will probably go only two, three days a week uh, in the office and different hours, more flexible hours. So we need to adjust, you know, our timetables, uh, our service patterns, uh, all these things are, that we now have to look at uh, and do differently uh, with COVID. That's interesting. So um, what do you see happening over the next few months as you, as you move forward into the fall for your transit? What are you working on now for them? So we're working with government. Uh, we're just launching the work on, for instance, new pricing uh, products. Um, for instance, because um, as I said, uh, people will travel less, shorter distance. So, for instance, we used to have a very popular five-day pass, uh, uh, you know, weekly pass for people who were commuting five days a week. That was uh, a very popular pr- uh, product. But I think the, the days of the five, the weekly pass are gone. For instance, that's right. It's got to be contextualized now. Exactly. How? What do we replace it by? And and we need to work with other uh, operators in Melbourne, with the public transport agency, uh, with uh, everyone together uh, to to find a new product. For instance, that's one. Okay. Another one is uh, so how do we adjust our network and and our timetables and the the net you know the de- network design now that city, the behaviors are changing. For instance, there's a big question. You know, what's the future of the CBD, for instance? Uh, the CBD in Melbourne is like a lot of office towers. 
it's uh, it's it's really beautiful. But uh, uh, most of these office towers are, are empty at the moment. And what's the future of that? Um, so we need to work with the city of Melbourne, with the the big employers here, to understand what's the future of work, and then uh, what's the future of public transport. Yes, that's the question that that a lot of cities are asking, right? We absolutely it's really an inflection point for our industry. So it's a, it's um, a finding moment. It's a yes. big finding moment. Yeah. So you mentioned a little bit ago about um, you know digitization and the technology that you want to bring in there, and you're focused on improving the customer experience. What type of initiatives do you see that will move the needle and the performance? Uh, you know, improving your performance overall, like you mentioned, this would include increase the speed of it and the overall passenger experience. What are you hoping to bring in technology wise? Because I think a lot of cities are looking at that. I think the, the, the great thing uh, is uh, we get access to a, a, a huge amount of data uh, at the moment. So I think the first priority is, is to understand what do our customers want at the moment? Uh, what, do, uh, they, uh, what are their expectations? For many years, uh, we have had a steady growth of uh, passenger numbers here in Melbourne. The behaviors were not really changing. It was just year on year. It was just... Three percent more of the same. Now suddenly, uh, everything is changing. The reasons why people are, are traveling are changing. The hours are changing. Where they are going are changing. What they are, yeah. uh, the expectation are is changing. So it's a complete change, complete change of pace, where we have to uh, to 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 understand uh, to and we have to understand that. And the great news is we have a tremendous amount of data uh, that we can access almost in real time. And we're working with a, you know, another a subsidiary of Keolis, which is Kizio, which is, you know, using, for instance, uh, data from uh, your cell phone or, or GPS data to understand in real time where are traveling, uh, where people are traveling in, in real time. This will allow us to uh, change our service uh, patterns. This will allow us to put more trams where we see that we have more passengers. Uh, and and almost in real time because we cannot rely on surveys that we conducted one year ago. Right. That this data is already irrelevant. It's obsolete. Right. We need to rely on surveys that we did like one week ago and almost in real time be able to make these adjustments. And we know that the passengers will keep changing a lot over the next year, and we need to be to have the agility of uh, to adapt to this. We know that public transport is not has not always been the most agile industry. And but this is a this is a great time for us to improve this and show that how responsive we can be in understanding the needs of our, of our passengers and adapt to this. That's great, very good. Well, my last question would be: uh, Is there any other uh, words of wisdom that you would give to our listeners all over the world who are in the throes of what you just discussed? So they're analyzing their their transit systems, trying to figure out where do people want to go next and pushing the reboot button to say, you know, I, do I need to bring in new technology? Do I need to combine that with adjusting routes? Do I need to have a different type of service I'm even offering? Maybe microtransit or maybe autonomous vehicles or add-in scooters or add, you know, uh, give us some wisdom. You've been working in this business for a long time. And I mean, you improved the on-time performance of the Paris system by 25%. I mean, you've got a solid background. Give us some words of wisdom for everybody that's listening. If, you, if you've got something. <laughs> Oh, uh, that that presum will be presumptuous to have uh, of me, but uh, I think it's it, it's time to really put the passengers at the center, understand what they want, and and yes. and, and look uh, and be mo really more agnostic in the way we bring answers uh, to our passengers. Um, 
Yartrams, we are a tram operator, but we need to work. And we started working with the trains, with the buses, uh, with microtransit, because the solution may will be uh, we need to 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 find the, you know something that is fit for purpose, and this will have to be uh, multimodal. We yes. will have to work everyone in conjunction. So this is where it's really time to think, you know, to um, across borders, uh, and 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 think different uh, in a very different way. Uh, because as we said, this is a redefining moment for the public transport industry, and we could either, you know, um, um, I wouldn't say disappear, but we could e either become irrelevant, right, or we could adapt and actually be part of that movement to reshape the cities. And there are great things happening everywhere around the world uh, with a 15-minute city, all these things. So this is time for us to think differently. That's wonderful. Yeah, it's that integrated network that you talked about that really probably is the solution, right? Instead of running everything kind of like siloed, it's to now cross over, have the technology that can talk to each other, right? That's been a big yes. key in the past, I think. Oh. When I was in that, Baltimore, man, I had a yeah. I had a disintegrated transit system, right? I ran a light rail system, a bus system, a subway system, and they didn't communicate. They had separate uplines for management. They didn't interact with each other. And so integrating them probably is the key. I think you nailed it, Julian. I mean, the passengers do not care about trams or trains or bus. They just want a solution, the best solution for them to go where they need to go. And we as an industry have to provide that. Very good. Julian DeHorne, CEO of Yaratram, giving advice for everyone in the industry, which I think everyone is agreeing with. We're all coming down on the conclusion that in order to have an improved network that really needs to focus on the customer, number one, right? That's the number one KPI is improving customer experience. And then if you build it, then they will come, right? They'll come back to the vehicles, come back to our system. They feel safe. We provide an efficient system, reliable with world-class customer service. And we might even uh, find ourselves with 20% new passengers in a year, people that didn't use it before because now it's clean, it's trustworthy. They can look at their look at the palm of their hand and see where the vehicle is at all times. I mean, this could be phenomenal, Julian. Uh, I, I, I can't wait to see that. And yeah. But we have to define this. We can do it. We can do it. That's right. We're going to make it happen. Well, I, I'm really happy that you're there in one of the greatest cities in the world helping to lead that, make that happen, Julian. Well, thanks, Paul. Yeah, thank you so much for being our guest on Transit Unplugged. And to all our folks around the world, I encourage you, if you ever do get to Australia, to make sure you visit Melbourne and ride their iconic uh, light rail system, their tram system. It is phenomenal and run by one of the greatest leaders in the industry. Thank you so much for being with us, Julian. It was a pleasure, Paul. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transit Unplugged in Depth with our guest, Julian DeHornoy of Yara Trams. Next week on Transit Unplugged News and Views, we travel to Illinois to the Champaign-Urbana Mass Transit District and learn about their new hydrogen generation and refueling center. If you have questions, comments, feedback, or even want to be a guest on the show, you can email us at info at transitunplugged.com. So until next week, hope everyone rides safe and rides happy.